What's up, guys? Thanks so much for joining today. So today, I decided to bring a couple of my friends. And we're just going to talk. You know, we we're at my house talking about some stuff, having a, some whiskey. And I told them, you know what? Let's just jump to the studio and talk some talk about some some stuff. This is Ohad Fedida, Asa Fedida. They're brothers, clearly. I'm the one that looks different here. And, um, you know, we we're just talking about the purpose of life and things like that and I want to invite them to to talk some stuff speaking about the purpose of life you know we were talking about this we were actually talking about if the purpose of life is to be happy because everybody talks about you know the purpose of life in my opinion that's absolutely insane because we cannot have a society that everybody's thinking about just oh I want to be happy I want to be happy I want to be happy and I'll tell you why I believe this because let's let's assume that you have a guy that he wants to just smoke weed all day. He's like, you know, I'm going to be happy just sitting around and just being on the beach and having and smoking weed all day. And, and, and I'm happy. That's what makes me happy. I mean, you don't want to have a kid like that. Do you want to have a kid that a kid that he pursues happiness in, in his way? But we live in a society that that encourages happiness so much that the entire duty duty, you know, it takes a second um, second turn after happiness. So it used to be in society that contribution, growth, be, having a duty as a person, raising a family, having kids, et cetera. All of these things were important um, and we valued a, a, as a society all of these things and happiness came as a result of these things, but it wasn't the absolute pursuit of happiness that, um, that we were looking for. And just to add a further point, I think that happiness, pursuing happiness all day leads to self-obsession, leads to constantly thinking about, oh, Oh, am I happy? Am I happy? And when when you think about others and how you can contribute and how you can give to others, um, you're not thinking about happiness. You're not thinking about yourself. But that lack of self obsession is what leads to happiness. Ironically, I mean, what do you guys think about this? I don't know. I think you need to define happiness. I think that's a big problem because, for example, the situation, the the example that you were giving earlier, the person who just decides to go be a beach bum, smoke weed all day, and whatever. Is he actually happy though? I don't think that he is. I think that you're, you're, the problem is just a, like a definitional issue. If somebody was working towards doing for others and accomplishing what he needs to do, I think he would actually be happy, right? And so I think the problem is just what is the definition of happiness? No? So right. this is uh, Rav Noach Weinberg, who's, uh, he was, he's the founder of uh, Shiva. So he speaks, he has a very insightful uh, a set of ser a series of, of classes called uh, the 48 ways. And he speaks over there, he mentions this idea that happiness is the positive emotion that comes from recognizing, from being aware of the pleasures that you have, that you're currently holding. And that's something that you can actually foster. So happiness is something that's not happenstance, right? It's actually something that you can cultivate in you, you can have a practice of happiness. So when you start becoming aware of all of the pleasures that you are currently, that you currently have access to, right? The fact that you can see, the fact that you can think, the fact that we can talk and drink and all of these amazing pleasures, we're automatically filled with a sense of happiness. And that's actually, that's, that's, an, that's a essential to, to incorporate into our lives. And it's actually a religious even, a religious, responsibility requirement to to cultivate and to incorporate happiness into our lives so for example at the end um, of the of the curses for for lack of a better word uh, that the uh, that we see in the in, 
in the, in the Torah. So it says, why, God says, why am I giving you this? Right? Under, like, because you, had, you didn't serve God with happiness and with a full heart. Meaning to say there's an expectation to cultivate happiness. The response could be, right, I, I am not happy. But clearly, happiness is something we, it's a choice. We can actually bring into our lives. So the moment we become aware, we start taking, we start taking a stock of everything that we have, we, we, we're filled with a sense of happiness, of gratitude. So, but, so what, what you're saying is that happiness is a decision that you make and the environment doesn't influence you being happy. So essentially what you're, the argument that you're making is that you can be literally in the beach, not doing anything, not accomplishing anything, not progressing, and you can still be happy at the same time just by thinking about, you know, your eye, how being grateful 100%. For, for your eyes, for having eyes, for having ears. But I mean, don't you think that progress equals happiness? I don't think so. I, I don't, I, I, I meaning yes, I agree with that final point that progress, progress leads to happiness. But what Rav Noach is talking about, I believe is taking stock of what you have as you progressed. I definitely think that if somebody takes stock of what he has and, oh, I have this and have that and I have X, Y, Z, whatever. But then he also does not do anything with whatever he has that is also just a waste. So it actually might lead to, to even less happiness if somebody is engaged in just wasting his life. Right? I mean, you, you can be happy, but you're, you're not, what you're talking about is fulfillment or it's the actualization of self. You can be a very happy bum. I don't think so. So happy and, and fulfillment they're, are they're, different they're, they're connected because someone who's, who's not making, is not actually fulfilling himself, there's a lack and there's actually something very painful about that. So there's going to be a pain over there. But you can still cultivate happiness about the things that you do have. But that's not the goal of life. So you can have happiness, what on, is some, happiness on some level. So that according to, to this definition, it's the positive emotions that come from recognizing the, the pleasures that you're, you have access to. We all have access to pleasures. Now, the idea of self-fulfillment is something else, right? That the end goal is not happiness. And the proof for this is that if I would give you, I would say, listen, Johnny, uh, you've never seen a depressed cow, right? You've never seen a depressed cow. They're just sitting there munching grass. You know, they're having the best time of their life. Right? I can do that for you. I can you know, slice off your prefrontal cortex. I can make you into a happy Animal. idiot, right? Yeah. You'll be the happiest idiot out there. You'll just be eating ice cream and enjoying your life and having the best time ever. Would you take that option? No, because that would make me lose what makes me human, which is consciousness. But actually they did used to do this in the past. They, they yeah, used to take the, the prefrontal lipotomies. Yeah. 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 Not a noble. So, so what I'm trying to say is that Happiness is something that is a responsibility of ours to incorporate into our lives, but it's not the end goal. Okay, but I mean, I'll tell you my opinion and and or or a couple of the thoughts that I've had about this, and and you tell me what you think about this. But I mean, when you're hungry, your body is telling you that you have to eat. So you get that your body's telling you that you lack something, that you need certain nutrients, and your body's telling you you go and get some food. And you do have certain people that are, that, you know, have these um, in the deficiencies where, where, I mean, I don't know what, what, what it's called, this, this uh, illness, but you have anorexia and you have other abnorm abnormalities that, are, that you know, that makes it um, 
that distorts the natural way of how everybody feels hunger and you know satiation and 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 everything or satiate satiate whatever yeah, satiation yeah. excuse my english so but isn't it your body your body when you're unhappy when you're depressed all day don't you think that it's your body telling you dude get the hell up i mean you can accomplish something in your life If you get up, if you go and work out, if you go and, and create, if you go and give and you go and progress. So it's your body telling you that. But what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that it doesn't matter what you do. You can literally be standing or, I mean, sitting down in a hammock on the beach and contemplating about the beauty of the world or, or art or whatever you want and just be happy in that way without... Any action. No, I'm not saying content and I'm not saying fulfilled. I'm not saying as self-actualized. There's, f you're, you're very far off from the goal. But in whatever domain you are actually self achieving. Self-actualized is just so, another word for saying happy. No. How, 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 would, so. you, how would you well, define happy versus self-actualization? I, well, I think that becoming aware of the pleasures that you have. So for example, you can be a bum and I can give you some food, meaning a bum and not, not literally a bum, but a bum who's not actually, you know, he's wasting his life away. A loser. Yeah someone who's wasting his life away and I can give him a good piece of food and if he's properly attuned, he can feel a lot of happiness about the food that he has in front of him and gratitude and be very present and enjoy the thing in front of him and also be very, very, un, like, very, very unfulfilled about the life that he's leading. I, I think the issue is that we're trying to find a higher level definition for an English word. And so like, if I would ask you, what is the Hebrew word for happiness? You would say probably Simcha, right? So, but we have a holiday called Zman Simchatenu, Sukkot, right? The holiday of Sukkot is the time of happiness. Zman Simchatenu. Expl explain what holiday of Sukkot is for those that don't, doesn't know what oh. Sukkot is. So the holiday of Sukkot is the holiday. I mean, how would you describe it? The holiday where we... Go outside one of, of the, our house. One of the we, Jewish holidays. Yeah, okay. it's one of the Jewish holidays. We go into a hut um, for seven days. And then we have another holiday called Shemini Yatzer that comes right after. So for eight days, basically, we have this holiday season. And we call it the Zman Simchatenu, the time of our happiness. Um, now, historically, what would happen during that time is that they would, we would actually bring uh, sacrifices um would bring 70 sacrifices throughout the seven days. Um, and then on the eighth day on Shemini Yatzeret, the holiday that comes right after Sukkot, we would bring one last sacrifice, like one more cow as a sacrifice. Um, and they explain over there that the 70 sacrifices are correlated to the 70 nations of the world. Because in the Jewish tradition, we believe that the world is made up of 70 nations. And the last day, Shemini Yatzeret, is the one um, sacrifice that we bring for our relationship with God, between the Jews and God. It's like a separate day. Um, but basically what I'm positing is that the, the reason why it is our, the, the days of our happiness is because it's the one holiday that's actually not inwardly focused. It's outwardly focused. It's the holiday in where we're doing services for the sake of the world, for the sake of other nations, for the sake of all the other nations of the world. We are taking upon ourselves this holiday, we're doing the sacrifices, we're doing this service for those other nations. And that is when it's called Zman Simchatenu, the time of our happiness. So, so what giving is happiness? equals happiness. That's what, that's what this essentially says. I think it's when you do your duty because the Jews, we're, are, 
Jewish consciousness is that we're supposed to, you know, we're not a religion like other religions. We're a religion that is very much, you know, trying to be a light to the nations, trying to, you know, be outwardly focused and actualizing people to leave to lead better lives, right? Um, and so when we accomplish our duty, that's our time of happiness. So what you're saying is that whenever you accomplish your duty in the world, that's when you get happiness. I think so. It's correlated to that. So I want to touch on that point because <clears throat> there's this book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. I think I recommended that to you, Ohad. I don't know if you got the chance to to read it or, or to buy it. If not, I'll, I'll send it to you. He talks, he, he makes, I won't get into like the historical context that he, he talks about and, and everything that he talks about over there, but there's this concept, the main idea is that what you're feeling in the inside is irrelevant to your purpose of life. I mean, when you die, you know, when you die, people are not going to remember you. Oh, this guy felt this particular way. You know, they, they won't remember about that. They, they will remember him. And I think this speaks to the purpose of life, to the, the, the discussion that we were having. What do you see in the cemetery? You go to the cemetery, what does it say? Husband, dad, rabbi, etc. So traditional roles, roles that society gives you is essentially, is essentially what, what makes you happy. I, and, I, I and think not, a better not, way of saying it is how you affected other people. Yeah. It's not about traditional. I mean, that is what traditional roles is. But like, if you bring it down to like, just like a more basic level, it's basically how did you affect other people? How you affected yourself has no, like, nobody cares about that. What I mean is what roles did you fill in the world? What positions did you fill? What positions of giving did you fill in the world? That's essentially right. what I mean. Not like the, the, the self-obsession of, oh, how do I feel in the inside? I'm confused. I feel this. I feel... Nobody cares. I mean, nobody nobody cares about the way that you feel on the inside. That's right. that's the truth. That's the hard truth. And ironically, you know, the, the good news for us is that the more we give or the more that we contribute, the more that we grow, the more happy we become. I mean, I don't know if it's a clear-cut correlation, but there's definitely a correlation there. And I think, and to your point, because yeah. I'll finish up with this, that you said that, you said that there's, that if you're, um, that the more you appreciate, the more happy you can be, or, or like happiness is more correlated to analysis and to, um, you know, introspection and, 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 you know, appreciation. And I think there is a concept there, and this is where it gets complicated because you have people that accomplished, that seemingly accomplished everything in life and they still killed themselves. Like, how do you explain Robin Williams killing themselves, himself? He was loved by everybody. Everybody loved him. He was by all metrics successful. He helped a lot. He contributed a lot. So is he one of the outlier cases that had this like quote unquote mental disorder or or imbalance or or a chemical imbalance or that chemical imbalance doesn't exist? I mean, that's an entirely different discussion, but uh, for the psychologist here, but um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, so, so just to touch on the point you made before about, you know, your internal states, no one really cares about that. It's true. No one really cares about that, but you care about that. Because if you're having a miserable time at life, then mm -hmm. that's an issue. That is a serious issue for yourself because you, it's not great to have a miserable time at life. So now, how? Now, obviously, what we're saying over here, I, I think, is that having roles. The reason why roles work is because, I mean, sorry. The reason why roles are valuable is because they work. Meaning, it's not just 
you know, oh, we just created these roles and like, if you can achieve your role, meaning they're, they're built into, to, to evolutionary, like to our evolutionary makeup. The reason why being, uh, having kids and, and then building a building and, and all of these things work is because, and why they, they think is because they're part of our makeup. So yes, we need to have more of an emphasis on on, on, on those roles and actually being productive and, 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 and self, self-actualization and all of those things. And there is too much of an emphasis today on my internal states and what I'm feeling. And it's always devoid. The issue is when it becomes devoid of what it's based off of. We discussed this before of like, if, 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 you're, if you remove yourself from biological needs, from safety needs, from emotional needs, and you're just sitting by yourself in this room like, yeah, but what am I and who am I and what, you know, and you're like become so obsessed with yourself and what's going on, then that's a problem. There's a breakdown over there. But once you actually fulfill all of the basic things, then yes, it's all for yourself, meaning it's all for your- Right, right. To, you're, to actually jumping, have a good time at you're it. You're jumping levels in the Maslow triangle, right? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. My, Ma- Maslow's hierarchies of needs. It's it's a it's a yeah. Maslow's hierarchies and needs is 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 a is a really good way right. of conceptualizing of conceptualizing life. No, I I think that I, that's a great way. I never thought of that before, but I think it's a great way of thinking of it. That the problem is not necessarily being focused on how you feel. The issue is trying to focus on that without having the tools to to develop within the hierarchy of needs. Meaning somebody that doesn't have food and now needs to work to have food and then goes ahead to start focusing on how he feels, that's a totally different approach than if somebody never had to deal with, you know, where am I getting food? Where am I getting shelter? Where, And then trying to sit without ever having to interact with any of those other deficiencies or whatever you want to call it and sitting down and trying to figure out like, how do I feel and how do I, you know, how do I interact with people in the world? And I think the issue is that somebody like that, he's much more passive. You know, they're much more passive. They're much more trying to evade responsibility, trying to evade, you know, duties, trying to evade. And that's the issue. The issue becomes when you try to figure out what you want to, who you are and what you want to do by the, by just running away and not dealing with anything. But if you only start, you know, dealing with those issues after you, took upon yourself responsibilities, committed yourself to a job, you know, have a family and kids. And now you're sitting and like, okay, what do I want to do with my life? That's very much going to be a different response and a different way of interacting with figuring yourself out. And it's going to be much more mature and much more productive as opposed to running away and, you know, doing drugs in Thailand, you know? (laughs) You know, to say that, you know, full moon parties. (laughs) Does that provide happiness? I think it provides escapism because that's also the thing. I feel that like happiness a lot is just like another, like nowadays it's just basically devolved into just escaping responsibility and escaping the, the it's the lack of pain, which is decadence. It's not happiness, I mean that, it's decadence. If you go on the chemical level, that's literally like dopamine or serotonin release. I mean, that's literally that. So, But, but I think that nowadays the fact that we can, we have so much stuff that exacerbates dopamine release to an extreme level. You can literally on your phone, you can literally watch, I mean, watch porn, play video games, look at movies, watch movies. All these things are extremely potent ways of dopamine 
it's a dopamine hit hit. So I don't know, but I was listening that if you raise your dopamine sta- your base level of dopamine constantly, then nothing will actually, you know, feel happy. I mean, exciting in essence. But there is a difference in the way that you feel. I don't know what chem- chemicals go on in the brain, but there is a difference when you help somebody or when you when you grow or when you contribute or when you make you know I was in Kenya a few years ago and and I I I was I was there I was having you know experiences with people not privileged people and I can tell you that no movie or no experience has ever felt as good as that so I don't know is are both of those feelings dopamine release or serotonin release or so so what you're touching on is Rav Noach also talk, talks about this and he talks about this, about the levels of pleasure. So pleasure is a dirty word, you know, in today's society, colloquially, like when you say pleasure, everyone automatically takes it into bad ways. But but there's five levels of pleasure. And what you're identifying is that there's different levels, meaning there's very low level pleasure, which is, you know, food and, 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 and very, you know, more physical ones. And then you move up a level and you're going to emotional pleasure, right? And, and each level is a higher, it's a different, it's a different order. So what you're touching on is high-level pleasures, the, the contributing, being productive, helping other people, having, having responsibility and power. All of that is high-level pleasure. So you're comparing it and you're saying, yeah, but uh, if I compare it to eating ice cream, you know, that's, it's not the same. It's like, yeah, it's not the same. But you also want ice cream. So you want to have a life where you can have all of it and you can appreciate all of it and incorporate all of it. The goal is to get as much pleasure as we can from life. And that includes low-level and high-level pleasure. So, and from a Jewish standpoint, according to Jewish philosophy, you have the Yetzer Hara and the Yetzer Tov. You have like the, the evil inclination and the good inclination or whatever you want to call it. So, but the evil inclination is in charge of these low-level pleasures, if I'm not mistaken, right? There's no problem with low-level pleasure. It's when, it be, when you become, when you're limited to that, when you have counterfeit pleasure, which Rav Noach talks about where it's not connected to the, it's not, it's not, it's not connected or integrated into the, into the, right. into the cycle, I meaning into the pyramid of, of, of pleasure. You're selling, you're selling the higher level pleasure for the sake of a lower level pleasure. For example, love versus infatuation is one. If you're, right? if you're married and you have a wife, right? That's a high level pleasure. It's, but at the same time, it comes with a high level of responsibility. If somebody would go ahead and throw that away by and for the sake of going ahead with other women or whatever, then, you know, he's basically throwing away a higher level pleasure for the sake of engaging in a lower level pleasure. So, so in essence, lower level pleasures are not bad as long as, it, as they're channeled in a certain way exactly. to achieve also higher level pleasures. You have, or, a, you have a wedding, a wedding, a, a marriage, high level, you know, a person is taking upon himself you know, a, his, this giant responsibility, he's engaging in this relationship, you know, it's a very high level, you know, situation of pleasure. And, you know, you have good food, you have good drink, you know, you have music, you have all these things to make the, to, to make the whole event, like, you know, much, uh, much more enjoyable and much more, you know, happier. But like, at the same time, it's going in order to facilitate a higher level pleasure. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. So uh, there's there's another thing that we were talking about earlier that I think uh, going back to the discussion of roles, 
I think the fact that men, and I want to touch a little bit about masculinity in Judaism, because I know that's something that we've been discussing earlier when we were coming here that, and I think that men nowadays are extreme. A lot of them are depressed because they, they don't know what role they should play. So it used to be that before they aspired, like before, you know, like our grandparents, they didn't have time to think about all these things, you know, the, of the modern, of the Instagram or that. They, they had to survive. They had to fight for their life. I mean, my, my grandparents had to escape the Holocaust, literally. They didn't have time to think about, you know, all these questions that people ask themselves nowadays. And I think the, and they played a role. I mean, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, they played roles in society as protectors, providers of their family, which I think, I mean, call me old fashioned, but I still believe in chivalry. I think a man's duty is to protect, to provide, to fight through adversity, to achieve. That's a man's duty in life. I mean, and now we're in a culture that creates men not to be that, not to fulfill those roles. It's it's all about self-obsession, about how you feel. It's okay. Men don't need to be stoic nowadays, which is, I think it's Horrible, and, men, and and by the way, those men are the most dangerous men for society because men that cannot control their feelings are the ones that end up feeling depressed one day and then they show up at a high school and then end up shooting, you know, and, and, and God forbid killing people. So I think the idea of men being stoic, men of controlling their feelings, being responsible, being, being leaders and providers and protectors, that, that, that I think it's something of, of extreme importance in nowadays. In, in today's society and in general, but going back to the, the thing of roles that what I was saying is that um, I think that men, the fact that they can, they don't have a role, some, a role that they need to fulfill. We're destroying the, the, the idea of a man to be, become, the idea that a man becoming a father, you know, a protector, a provider, th that idea, if we don't provide that to young men, what are we providing to them? What what should they aspire towards? In are the you discussing specifically in the Jewish world or like in general? In general, in, in, in the world in general, but I mean, it applies in, in general. I think the Jewish world is also influenced by the world. I, I think the Jewish world is a little bit, you know, because you have the very religious world and you have the modern, the reform and the not religious and the completely, you know, not in, not affiliated world. And like each one I think is kind of different. Um, but at this, but like going back, you talked about stoicism. Um, I think that something that's very important. I was reading Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Great book. I mentioned it to you. I read it a long time ago. I reread it recently because we were talking about the podcast and whatnot. But um, I have. Thank you. But basically, I, I think that a big problem with nowadays with the with the viewpoint of stoicism is that stoicism became just a philosophy of how to be more productive and i think that's very unfortunate because if you read through meditations you see a person marcus aurelius you know the author of the book um the emperor who he's very introspective he you know deals a lot with theology he deals a lot with he has letters of just writing thanks for people who, you know, gratitude for people who gave him things throughout his life. He has, you know, introspection on what happens after we die or what is my purpose in the world. And, you know, things that I guess a lot of Stoics, quote unquote, nowadays would simply brush off as fluff and not important. And the issue is that 
basically it's uh, what nowadays when you go and try to f- figure out what is stoicism you get a bastardized version version of stoicism which is just Absolutely. you know don't have any emotions focus on your job and, and you know and that's a big problem i feel and i think there's a truth to being emotional being connected to you know your feelings being more sensitive to you know what your your surroundings and what makes you feel you know fulfilled but through a stoic mindset you can get you know follow it from a very empowering and very proactive approach as opposed to a reactive and a i don't know what you want to call it approach but uh that's the problem nowadays i don't think that people are not stoic it just is just that there is no stoicism nowadays. Um, by the way i'm not saying that men shouldn't exhibit feelings i'm uh, what i mean is that the entire idea of a man is that you fight through adversity because you don't want to do something but you still do it because that's your duty to do it for example the the men that went and they fought world war 2 you think people want or you know independence day of israel you think the people that went my my grandparents have fought for the for for israel and do you think they want to die they want to leave their families behind but they do you think they weren't scared of course they were scared they were scared shitless and that and it doesn't mean that a man shouldn't be scared or shouldn't have feelings but what it means is that they have their that the duty that his duty i don't i don't speak to to women because i'm not a woman so so i i, I can't know what you know what 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 they feel but as a man i'm telling you like it's the duty of a man to go and to protect and to protect so if you do that um you okay there? <laughs> yes. <sir. laughs> no, but if, if you do that, um I'm not saying, by the way, to, to sum it up, I, I'm not saying that men shouldn't have feelings. It is okay for you to be scared. What I'm saying is that it's your duty to go and to stand up to adversity and to go and protect and to go and fight for your purpose in life. So the entire idea of standing up through adversity and fighting, it's a very masculine thing. And I think it's a great thing. And we shouldn't we shouldn't kill that idea because I think it's a great idea. I think so too. For sure. So so I don't buy the the criticism of I'm very of you know, when when you have older people, they talk about like, oh, back in my day, you know, XYZ and this generation is so weak, or you know, all of those all of those criticisms, like, oh, everyone today is on their phone. Like, well, everything is on your phone. So obviously you're going to be on your phone. So I don't buy into that, into those criticisms. I, I see that there's an evolution. There's a development. There's a progression of humanity. Masculine and feminine, whatever that is, I'm not you know, obviously an expert in any of this, but you know, whatever that is, there are clear roles and there's clear, there's forces. There's masculine and feminine forces. And that is going to have a manifestation in every permutation that we have, in every generation that we have as in humanity. So today, thank God, we have the luxury that we don't have to be fighting off, you know, animals in the wild. So the classic masculine idea of, um, of, of a man who's beating down the lion is not necessary. Now, granted, that might be related to that. That's true. This idea of being a protector, this idea of going out of making something of yourself. But that has today a new manifestation. And I think sort of what you're trying to touch on is that we need a new masculinity, not a new masculinity to recreate it, but a new masculinity in the sense that we need to communicate to men today 
a proper manifestation of masculinity in today's, uh, and also by the way, femininity, but yeah. in today's society, that's not just, oh yeah, go out and beat people up and, and, and which is a lot of what the role models and uh, this manosphere, whatever that is, um, sort of purport, which is like, they're shirtless with uh, 30 uh, half-naked women next to them and they're sort of uh, yelling at people about materialistic goals that they have. That's not a good role model to, to, to try to aim at. So what is a new figure? And, and, and it's big. We need masculinity. We need men who actually make... So to, to, I know you, we spoke about this before also about this line that they say, which is, as strong men create good times, good times create weak men, and weak men create bad times, and so on. And there's sort of like this never-ending cycle of... What was that again? I think strong it's... Men strong men create, create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men. And weak, weak men, men create, create bad, bad times. times. Right. So this sort of... And bad times create strong men. And bad times create strong men. Exactly. Sort of like this cycle, this never-ending cycle of like... I mean, it's true. Where are we now? <laughs> Very good <laughs> times. No, so... Not to be bad. So I always thought... I, was, I thought about that question. I thought about that statement a lot and... It's true for a majority of people, but I, it bothered me a lot because I'm like, is that, is that, that's it? Like, you know, strong man. Cause, cause if you ask a weak, like someone who is, uh, you know, they're, they're fighting, they're trying to make something of this, uh, of themselves. What do they say? They make fun of people who are super wealthy and so people who are super, like they have a lot of resources. So they're like, oh, those people, they don't really know the real life. They don't really know the struggle. They don't really know. And I would never take millions of dollars because I always want to have the struggle in me. And then they're like, okay, what do you want to offer your kids? Oh, I want to offer my kids complete all the luxuries that, that I never had. Aren't you just making your kids into weak people? Right? They never really answer that. Yeah. So is there an answer to this? I think this? Bob Marley had an amazing line on it. I'm trying to remember it. He said, it's not about giving your kids all the riches you never had as, a, as when you were growing up. It's about giving them all the wisdom that you never had. When you were growing up, but again, going back on that issue that you know, you 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 become rich and then you spoil your kids and right. So you know. I mean, going back on this, which is, I think there's a solution to this. Meaning, there's there's a way out that that doesn't have to be the way, because we recognize that there's always going to be many layers to life. We're not always going to be stuck on the most basic level where we're trying to hunt down animals and try to provide food and sustenance to a woman in the caves. Like that's not the only place that we're stuck in. So there's always going to be struggles as you progress up in humanity. And you're going to need to have strong and masculine people who are progressing and actually succeeding in those things. So masculine people or masculine men? Masculine men, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Why women can't be masculine? <laughs> so you know what I'm trying to say is that <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to say is that so the father who struggles very hard and is able to take his kids out of a bad situation now creates a place where his kids are able to struggle on higher level and higher order things. They don't have to struggle on low level things like food or, or, or getting out of the, the neighborhoods or whatever it is. They're able to actually now struggle on higher level things on education on self-fulfillment, on, you know, being a better person, all of those things, that is still a struggle. You don't need to go out to war to have a struggle in life and to have a journey and to have a quest that you're going out and trying to conquer. 
Yeah, so, I mean, you're, you're touching touching on the a basic tenet of masculinity, which right. is conquest. I mean, think about Genghis Khan. I mean, like why men men went out to lands that completely unknown lands, you know, Christopher Columbus to America. I mean, just for conquest, for that spirit of going out and conquest. So I do think that you can, that that spirit of conquest is present nowadays in different ways. Um, that you know, no, nobody's going out to a land that doesn't that they don't know because everything we know Detroit we, 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 <laughs> <laughs> buying real estate in Detroit. <laughs> it's a great market, actually. No, I'm kidding. Um, That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Texas, Texas is a place. Yeah, but but just to touch about, I I don't know why how Genghis Khan became like a role model for people today, especially again in the manosphere. What do you mean, Genghis Khan? Yeah. Because like one percent of the world comes from him directly. Yeah, but <laughs> he was a, a big amount of people. It, does that mean that he's your your role model? No, no, no. But I, I mean, like, if 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 you knew or your ancestor, that your ancestor was Chinggis Khan, wouldn't you be proud of Chinggis Khan? So if one percent of the world is like, you know, by default pro Chinggis Khan, are you proud of every every single one of your ancestors? I mean, I know I'm not. I don't know. But, you, uh, <laughs> you must have bad ancestors. <laughs> bad ancestors. No, um, I mean, yeah, yeah but, but, but I get your point. I, I, yeah. Go ahead. You're saying? No, but I think what you're going back on is, is basically, I think that, you know, besides conquest, it's about principles. And if you're a principled person, then if you're from point X going to point Y, then those principles are going to carry you up there. Right. And if you're starting at Y, those same principles, though, are going to be the principles that will move you up to Z or, you know, like whatever you want to call it from point A to point B to point B to point C. So like somebody that starts from literally nothing, the, the tools that are going to bring him up are his principles. And those are the principles that are necessary to be given over to your kids so that they can also continue developing onwards and onwards and onwards and that's like kind of what you you hope from your kids that you know they are able to use those principles so like um i don't know honesty i'm sure if you're living on the streets honesty takes a very different role than if you're you know like middle class and you're working and honesty is a very different uh you know has a very different manifestation and so on and so forth it's it's really just giving over to your kids principles and that's kind of, like, I think, the most imperative part of uh, masculinity. You know, like you're talking about, like, you know, being in the cave versus being in uh, the modern world. And then today, it's the same principles. I'm, yeah, I mean, there are different manifestations. Over back then, when people were in caves, you know, yeah, men had to go and hunt. But but, the, but, the but nowadays, hunting is is manifests in a different way. No, but hunting is why are you hunting? Meaning you're hunting because for survival for, back then. I mean, but you're also hunting for your wife and your kids, right? Because you have a duty. They're survival, yeah. Okay, so now that obviously it changes, you know, like it changes all the time. Like your your situation is going to change, but in the end of the day, that principle of if I take upon myself the responsibility for somebody else, I don't throw that away. I have a loyalty to my wife and my kids and whoever I, I choose to give my loyalty to. That is something that you know, regardless, it's never going to change. And it doesn't matter if you're middle class, if you're poor, if you're high class, or if you're, you know, that, that, that principle never changes. But I mean, but, but the fact that we 
live in a society that tells men that, and, and this is because all of the, you know, the, the feminist movement and everything, which by the way, I think a lot of the things that the feminist movement contributed, like the right of women to vote and, and many other things um, are great for society and great for humanity, especially great for women in general. But, but I do feel that we're going, maybe we're going to the other extreme where we're completely eliminating the idea that women and men are different because right. they are different. They have different needs, different value. I mean, not values, but they, they, they have different needs and they, they aspire for different things. I mean, I don't I think, agree with you. I, think I don't think it's a coincidence. Same, I don't think it's a coincidence. I, I don't think it's society to blame that most people that, that become pre-K teachers or, or the, the majors actually that the, the most, the, the woman you know, comprise most of the, of the, um, how do you call this? Pre-K education in the US is woman. I don't think it's because of the patriarchy. I think because there might be an inherent um, gift. I, I would call it a gift of woman to connect to children, to give to children, to nurture. I don't disagree. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I think I, I heard a great way of explaining it. The values are the same, but men and women are different. And the way to explain it, somebody, if you have a saxophone, and you have a trumpet, and they're both playing D major, right? Or they're both playing the same note, but you're gonna say this is a saxophone and this is a trumpet, but they're playing the same note. Or if you have a guitar and you have a, pi a piano, they're, pl they're playing the same note, but it's gonna sound differently. And the same thing, there's loyalty, and there, there's loyalty, and there's masculine and feminine ways of portraying loyalty. There's uh, duty, and there's a masculine way and a feminine way of portraying duty. There's, you know, all these very fundamental values that we appreciate, that we feel are important for our lives. But in the end of the day, there's a feminine way of expressing that and there's a masculine way of expressing that. And both of them are necessary for the world. Um, you know, and that- but Why do you think society has been so obsessed with equality, quote unquote equality, that we completely disregard the idea that we're different. I mean, and I think this this conversation extends more to equity and, and equality and, and equality of outcome versus equality of opportunity. Because nowadays we're we're, we're obsessed with everybody being equal, and 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 I think that not not equality, inequality to a certain extent. I know this is controversial. Is some is something positive for society? I don't mean equal rights. I mean differences in 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 what people can contribute. And I think femininity and masculinity can contribute different things and they can provide different things and they can. So I think that difference is great. And the fact that in society, we're trying to eliminate those differences, I think it's absolutely asinine. True, but, but that's the danger I think are the, in every generation, they're going to have their developments and sort of their state that they're in. And there's going to be too far or the negatives of whatever we're dealing with. So thank God we, in our generation, there's a lot of good things, you know? So a lot of people are like, oh, this generation, everyone's so anxious and everyone's so terrible and everyone's so, everything's bad about this generation. Again, touching on like something, what I said before, but it's not, thank God. Thank God we have, we live in a generation where we have the luxury to start considering and then and, and thinking about our life and what do I want to be and who am I? And all of these big questions that in past generations, they didn't necessarily have the luxury to be. Or for example, a lot of people in dating, right? 
We're like, oh, back in the day, you just uh, be matched with someone and yeah, get, 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 go for it. You're going to get married and that's it. And today everyone's so picky and everyone's so this. It's like, yeah, true. There's, there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of issues that come out that, that we have today. But we also have the luxury of considering relationships in the, in the aspect of love, which is something very valuable. We moved up a step. We don't only have to consider financial stability or how is it going to be for my family, right? We also have the ability to start considering people on the basis of love. So in every domain that we have, we have it going too far. So the idea today of women participating in society and, and women start, starting to be recognized as being able to contribute in all of those things, there's a lot of good that comes out from it, right? They don't only Absolutely. have to be relegated to the house and that's it with no contributions. With that said, when we forget the basics, when we forget the fundamentals or the principles that you were talking about, and we forget about, right, like the, 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 the values, then, then yeah, then it goes too far. So every generation has its too far. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I agree with you. But what I would say is that or you, you mentioned dating. I don't know. Like, I are you saying that I'm I'm thinking about the relationship between my grandparents and they've been married for 60 plus years. They have an amazing relationship. I mean, I'm sure that if you if my grandmother had Instagram, I don't know if she would have been married to my grandfather because my grandfather was the guy from the block, from the house, you know, a couple neighbors there, you know, from the Jewish community in Costa Rica where I'm from. So of course, she probably wouldn't have got married to him, but that doesn't mean that they couldn't create a happy marriage because of with that. Love, so, yeah. so, with, with love, yeah. With love. So it developed so love, after. Right. It developed no, after. I, I yes. definitely think that all the uh, the developments nowadays, quote-unquote developments, are harming women much more than men. I, I think that 100%, and I'll tell you why. Because men didn't really change that much, but women changed a lot. And because of the advent of... Instagram and open dating and so on and so forth. It 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 democratized the the market, but it make it made it much harder for women to be special, to be you know to be different than the other because you you have on your fingertips like seven hundred different girls, right? I I can say the same thing about men. Like think about it. Like if there's if you're growing up in this down in middle America, middle America, and there's this like beautiful girl in your high school, let's say. It used to be, you know, 50 years ago, that there's this beautiful girl, I mean, physically beautiful, and you can talk to her, get married to her and everything. I'm not saying that you can't right now, but the thing is that she has nowadays, this cute girl from middle America, from a random town, or, you know, from any small town in the world, she has Instagram, so you as a guy, let's say you were her classmate, you can't compete in, I know that society has become a lot more superficial, but you can't compete with the guys with the blue, everybody has a blue check mark now, I know yeah. that, <laughs> you can pay it, but the guy with the blue check mark with 50 million followers on Instagram, they just randomly texts cute girls that he sees on Instagram. So this girl grows up in middle America and she's like, holy shit, this guy, from Ukraine or from wh wherever, you know, not Ukraine's not the <laughs> example, but from Europe or from Monaco. Romania. Romania. <laughs> <laughs> from, <laughs> from wherever is texting me and I'm not interested in this guy, you know, so, and I think that this leads to a bigger discussion of comparison. But that, again, but again, men 
don't care that much. I'll tell you why. What do you mean men don't care that much? Yeah, you get don't a little bit of heartbroken, a girl leaves you. Okay, fine. But you know what? You as a man, you don't have a problem dating a lot of girls. You don't have a problem moving on. You don't have a problem. So you're saying that girls get girls, more heartbroken than men? Yeah, I think that that in the long run, girls are the ones that are suffering most. Because I feel like once you hit 25, girls are... In a much different place yeah. than men. Listen, but men are still in the same that's game because of the biological. Doesn't matter. Clock but, so that, men can move was... on. So it's like, oh, girls can leave them. Okay, Listen, girls can leave them. What you're but, talking about the the culture of lack of commitment is part of the too far of our days. I mean, and I'm saying it's that an that's, issue that's harmful more for girls than, than I, men. That's fine. That, yeah, I agree with you. 100%. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's fine. But ultimately, let's say in the Jewish community. Where there is still a commitment, meaning uh, at least in the religious world. Thank God. Yeah, where there's a culture of commitment, of, of responsibility, you know, hopefully. But there, that those, those are still principles that are, that are still standing strong. Then the fact that, let's say, that there's more woman participation in society in the Jewish world is something positive. The fact that they no longer have to be relegated to the house and the resources are so limited that they don't have any access. That's wonderful that now they can participate with a sensitivity towards the, the most basic makeup of man and woman and and commitment to commitment and to, and to, and to I mean, integrity. We, we all agree. So as, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think yeah. we all agree that you know, woman participation in society is amazing and it's great and we're all from equal we're all for equal rights, etc. We're we're just talking about the point of the too far. And and I think, so I think, lot, the, I think there's the also in the Jew in the religious world very much too far. And I'll tell you where it comes and this is like a not personal, but like I feel that a lot of girls nowadays in the Jewish world, a lot of women in the Jewish world feel that now is the time to get into the 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 maniverse or the the male part of Judaism and you know like uh, personally for me like in Shaduchim like a lot of times I have a problem Shaduchim explain what the Shaduchim is Jewish dating but a lot of times girls list list out or lay out exactly you know what exactly are they looking for in a man I'm looking for a man that prays a certain amount of times a day or goes to study in the study hall a certain amount of times a day in the Bet Midrash you know etc etc and I'm It's like, I don't think this ever happened in the past. I think this is the first time in, in ever in the Jewish history that we have women that feel that they can dictate to their husbands, you know, their Jewish, you know, their commitment to Judaism. I think it's a big problem. You know, like, Because, I mean, I think I, what you're touching on is this. I, I feel, I know it's controversial, okay. but I think it's a very big problem nowadays. Because like, I okay. wouldn't write. I understand you don't want women to tell you Your level, uh, your religious level. You don't want women. No, no. Because again, you and by for everyone that doesn't understand the that doesn't know about this because I I didn't know in the past. So in the religious world, you're set up, right? Yeah, you have matchmakers. You have matchmakers. So what you're saying is that the girl cannot tell her matchmaker. But just to or, point out, you have a choice. It's not back in the day where they used to set you up and that's it. Oh really? It's not that you meet your your wife in the no, the, no, day, the day before. of five yeah. seconds before. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not like that anymore. <laughs> they, they set you up and you go on dates. Was it ever like that? Yeah, I'm it was like that. That you met your you met the, the girl. Yeah, in the so in the Hasidic world, it, I'm it's not I'm not an like expert that. in the Hasidic world, but there is a lot more of that. You but go especially on like three back dates. in the day. In, in the Hasidic world, you go on like three dates. 
Like that's it. Nowadays. Yeah. So Nowadays. before it used to be that you meet them the day of the wedding. Uh, I don't, I don't know if the day much. of the wedding, but at least there was a lot more external decision making yeah. outside of the man or Families, outside of the woman. Meaning it was yeah. more, I mean, okay, you guys also are not. The, the marriages usually happened like, for example, in the, I believe it was, I'm trying to remember which community, but there's a community that, oh, in the Yemenite community. In the Yemenite community, if you were over a certain age and you were Jewish, you had to report to the army. You had to report to certain like government officials. You had to like become Muslim and whatnot. And so they would, they would organize weddings. Like when the kids were like three, it would basically, you were three years old, you would be engaged. And then when you were, the, the boy was like 13 and the girl was like 12, they would be married. Sure. But that's a, that's a bit of an outlier. Obviously. Yeah. That's a very exigent circumstance, but um, you know, like people got married much, much younger than nowadays. Even the Hasidic communities, people get much younger. We see nowadays is that girls dictate very much what they're looking for in men. You know? Fine. Okay. But yeah, I agree with you. But uh, it's a problem. It's a very big problem. And I'll tell you why. Because men don't dictate them girls what they're looking for because they're scared of, you know, either looking not feminine, you know, not feminist or being like chauvinistic or whatever. But basically, what you're having is one side of the population is telling what, you know, being upfront with what they're looking for in men and the men not being upfront with what they're looking for in women. It causes a lot of confusion. Just to understand what you're, the, what you're saying is that the things that women are looking for right now are, you know, too, are wrong or are, you know, not, not the correct things. Is that what you're saying? I'm or you're saying that the women right. are looking at things at all? Because I mean, I don't disagree with women that they're looking for things in men. Uh, no, they, no, no, no. That's not the problem. At... The problem is that girls are very, like, I, I don't know if you have that this experience. Seems to but be a girl... very, this seems to be a very specific uh, criticism. And it's also, um, it's also. Uh, girls th feel that they have the also right anyone to say, second, I'm looking but... for a person who learns X amount it seems to be. I'm a, looking for a person who prays with a minyan with like a in in a synagogue, x amount of days. I'm looking very specific, you know, you know, qualifications for a man. Whereas if a person, let's say, if a man, think about it the other way around. If a man came and said, "I want a woman that dresses x way. I want a woman that covers her hair this way. I want a woman that cooks." For her kids. So you're saying you know, they, they're focusing on acceptable. things that are not this important. This conversation is going to be super foreign to anyone who's not in this very specific bubble world true. of dating. Con but I would touch on myself. This, but, but I would touch on this point, which is in dating, I think, or in general, people get very involved in markers. So there's markers. So for example, if someone went to Harvard, it doesn't mean that they're smart or they're educated, but it's a good marker that they're smart or they're educated. Right, meaning that they're capable of, of navigating academia pretty well, so it's it's a marker. It's not it's not the all 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 be all. So I think what you're touching on is this idea that people are very interested and very over too too invested in the marker. So they say I am looking for X, Y, and Z, and it has to be this. And if it's not this, then it's not. And in relationships, that's not the case. Right. And then and that people are not looking for the what the markers are trying to sort of. What they're what they're pointing at, which is the values, the 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 more integral things that people need to be trying to look for in relationship. And there's this there's this beautiful uh, story in the Talmud 
of Rabbi Akiva. So he was Rabbi Akiva is like the star player of of all of the, the Mishnah, the Talmud, and, and rabbinic literature. He's like, you know, the top. And oh gee, and his relationship, his how he got married is this beautiful love story, where the wife of one of the wealthiest families in Jerusalem falls in love with him. The daughter, sorry, of, of the of the most wealthy man in Jerusalem falls in love with him. And this Rabbi Akiva was a nothing. He was he would ridicule and make fun of the He didn't know how to read and write. He did not he was he was he was a nothing. He was a little poor person who had nothing. And she falls in love with this guy who's making fun of of, of scholarship, of the of the rabbinic class in society. And she falls in love and she identifies, she says, you have potential. There's something that I see in you that's valuable. And I want to commit myself to that. And her father says, if you marry this person, I'm cutting you out of the will. Like, I'm not going to support you guys. And she marries him. And she says, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, go- I'm, I'm, still, I'm still committing myself to this person. And they're dirt poor. So they're sleeping in the barn. Like, they have nothing going on for them. For they only them. have hay. They have hay, right? That's actually the story. They only have hay. The, the, the Talmud speaks this out. It's this beautiful story, this love story. And, and she tells him, listen, you have to go study. So she sends him off to yeshiva to go study. And he's four years old. He's starting to learn how to read. And because she identifies that there's potential here. So she found in this person value, right? Not just markers, but value. And obviously this is an outlier story. But point is, she sends him to yeshiva. And for seven years, he's in yeshiva. And finally, he, he comes back home and she's poor. And yeshiva and, is... Oh, sorry. Yeshiva is... A Jewish study hall, a Jewish study academy. It was the center of the community. It was where all studying and knowledge and wisdom was 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 had. So he goes and studies, and he actually, again, she's correct. She backed the right horse. So she he has full of potential, and he's growing, and he builds many students. And he comes back to the town, and he hears her from outside of the window talking to her neighbor. After twelve years, no, seven, no. I think think it was seven. Seven. We'll, we'll check, we'll check. I'm, I I'll apologize. Right I'm, I'm, a long check. time. A long time. So she hears, and the woman, the neighbor is sort of saying like, oh, your husband left you and your husband is gone. And what is this? And she says, if I had the option, I would want him to study for another seven years, right? To build himself for another seven years. So he goes, turns around, goes back to the yeshiva. And now the question is, why didn't he just come and say hello if he already was there? Whatever it is. So he goes back to the yeshiva. He studies. Right, and he, at this point, he's Rabbi Akiva the Sage. Right, he's heavy. He's 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 powerful. He's a he's a big player. So he comes back, and he has all of these hundreds of students coming coming right with him. And he comes to the city, and his wife tries to get into the crowd to try to see her husband. And the students are pushing her away because they see, okay, go away, you homeless lady. You know, like you bum lady, go move away. Like yeah, it was what? Twelve years and twelve years. Twelve years and twelve years. Okay, wow. so. He goes for 12 years, he comes back 12 years, so 24 years he's absent from his wife. He comes back and he now he's with hundreds of students and you know the, the lady, the wife is trying to come, push him away and he says, no, 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 bring her forward, bring her forward. And he points at her and he says, all of my Torah, all of the, all of the wisdom and all of the knowledge that I have, everything that you see in front of me is because of this woman, right? And it's such a beautiful story. Absolutely. But, but the point is, is that she was able to identify the potential, the actual value of the human being, aside for the markers, because nothing was going for him. He was a he was a bum. He was a nothing. He, he didn't know, know how to read. read right. He was right. He was he was a nothing. And she picked him up and made him into the man right. that that we know today as Rabbi Akiva, as the as the 
the man of the Talmud, of the Mishnah. You know, that, that story, I think it's, there's a cliche or a, a saying, which is very cliche, that says that behind a, a very successful man, there is a very successful a, a woman that's important. True. And I think it's true. true. And you know, this story actually, I had a, a conversation with my mom, I remember this, but this story actually changed my opinion on prenups and all that that situation because you're like, oh, but I worked all day, I worked all day, and why when I get, let's say, hopefully, you know, you, you don't get married to get divorced, but like, why would you ever want to give half of your wealth to your wife, to your ex-wife or wife when you get divorced? And, and the reason, when you did all the work, assuming that the woman, you know, stayed home or, or and the reason is precisely because of that, because, and, and this, this, this story actually made me think about this, that if you're working all day and the woman is, let's say, fulfilling a traditional role, not working, like, you know, it used to be in the past, I'm not endorsing necessarily that, I'm, I'm just, you know, stating a fact, she still has a lot of credit because she was taking care of, of your kids. She was supporting the family in a different way and she was supporting you also. So, I mean, this, this story actually changed my, in, enhanced my opinion. Actually, oh, for sure. I actually still agree with prenups. I, I mean, I, I'm not an expert. I'm not a lawyer I'll like you. I'll tell you, you why. But no, I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer. I, I yes. literally can't say legally that I'm a lawyer. But uh, <laughs> we have a concept of ketubah in Judaism. Ketubah is the marriage document, right? And it lists over there how much you give your wife when you divorce, if you divorce, God forbid. That is a prenup. Judaism literally only has a prenup. I don't see the problem with having a prenup. But but that the prenup also talks place... about all, all of the obligations that you have towards a woman, right? Yeah, I definitely. Mean, why not? You know, you should have the obligations towards your woman, but I definitely also think you should have a prenup. The only exception to a prenup that I think should be is if you live in a jurisdiction that has a communal property where in a marriage there is property that is owned by both you and your wife. And then you split that 50-50. But other than that, I think there definitely should be a prenup. And the prenup should define that, God forbid, should you get divorced, everything should be split 50-50 or everything, or you're entitled to everything that you made during the, the marriage and she's entitled to everything she made during the marriage. And if, if that's the case, what if she doesn't work and she's taking care of the kids and she's taking no, no, care no, of all I these- I definitely think I mean, that you should pay your wife. Meaning, how do you know, define what percentage? I don't think every marriage should have the wife working. Right, but uh, if your wife is working, that's a different story. If your wife is not working, definitely you should pay her. I don't think you should. But, just but what, kick what if out she works part time? What if she works part time for the other part time to you know take care of her kids? Or what if she sacrifices, or she, yeah, she sacrifices her career, or because she's prioritizing her kids? Which, by the way, I think that should, that should definitely be taken into that's, consideration. That's something good. By the way, in that, my opinion, that I, I don't think I think that people, women that nowadays say, "Oh, I'm super empowered," and that's and because I'm I feel empowered, I'm not gonna have kids, I'm not gonna do anything. So then they they they're forty years old. Okay, she's she's forty years old. She dedicated her entire life to her career. So what can she do now? She can afford some more Gucci bags right, instead right. of okay. So what 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 did you accomplish? But yeah, you know, I was the other day with my with my grandmother, and and we had this trip in to the beach with my family. And I, I, I saw this, you know, and, and I saw this with my, with my family and, and with my grandparents. I mean, they literally had their entire family there. Like, I don't know, like 40 people there. 
everything came from her. I mean, everything came from her and my and my grandfather. If she would have been one of these, you know, amazing role models nowadays in the 21st century of women that didn't care about, you know, having kids and everything. And just literally she dedicated her entire life to being an accountant, which she was, I mean, she still is. She, she, I mean, would that make her more happy? I don't think so. I don't think so either. So I, I think that that's so, completely so this distorted. Is, this is an interesting point about just like men need a role model. Women also need a role model. And for women, it's a lot more complex, I think. I'm not a woman. I'm not an expert on basically anything. Sure? Like that. About that? <laughs> I think we should. I think, I think we need a woman next time for one of these podcasts uh, to, to bring more of a... <laughs> a balance. Yeah, exactly. But, but I think that today that we have the... This is what we spoke about earlier, about how you need to still have all of the all of the lower level, meaning all of the most basic and fundamental elements of the self-fulfilled. So today that we have all the resources and the luxury to not only be limited to the house is wonderful and it's great and it's, that's, that's amazing. So women now have more time and more resources to start exploring new avenues and of, of self-fulfillment and that's great. It must not come at the expense of the most basic and most beautiful aspects of what it means to be a woman of, of, of having a family and having kids and, and building a home, but how to, how to, how to balance both and how to integrate higher level things because they don't have to only do that. Right. So how to bring in more and more elements. Right. And this is the point, by the way, of, I, of why the Western world is so, I, th I think, um, doesn't have good answers for this because for the Western world, your work defines your identity. Right, that's a big problem. The your monetary your monetary status is is all that matters. Your job. That's where you find your identity. And when you want to build a family and when you want to have kids, it's very hard to invest yourself fully into a career. So if we have more avenues where people can start exploring and have and and start building more and have and have more avenues of their identity, right, that would be very beneficial. So for the in the Jewish world, there was always this idea of the yeshiva, right? And the yeshiva had nothing to do with your monetary status. The yeshiva was the center of the community where people would explore wisdom and explore knowledge and build themselves and have conversations and, right? There was this, there was this entire center that had nothing to do with whether or not you were poor or rich or what you were doing in life. Everyone would participate and would come and would build themselves. At least right? once a year, in the Archekala. Right, at least once a year, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. going very far back. I'm but saying, I'm just saying that, like, because I'm, I'm for the listeners, a lot of people would off the off the bat would be like, yeah, but not everybody was part of yeshiva. Still, every single person in the community would take at least a certain amount of time a year to join the yeshiva, and it was called the yachikala. Like, it would come for once, like, uh, I don't know, a week or however much. Yeah, to to study. Yeah, but. Anyone trying Meaning to say, it was everybody was part of the all the community was part of this endeavor. I'm just yeah. strengthening what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying that. So, so, so today, women have the luxury and the resources to start incorporating more elements into their life other than just having kids and building good homes. There's also the space to start being a part of the community and study and and the, the all of that is also 
you know, available to them, I think. Do you yeah. think women should learn Gemara? It's a very controversial question. I know. Don't answer it if you don't want to. <laughs> I mean, we also have to clarify what is Gemara. Gemara yeah. is part this is of a, the... I apologize. This is such a like a, a, a foreign conversation to so many people. Uh, so so Talmud is sort of... We have the... In the Jewish tradition, we believe that we have the, 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 the Torah, which is the written text, the written Torah, and we have the oral tradition that, in, that, 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 that is part of it. As the generation went by, this is a very gross oversimplification, but you have the Mishnah, which is very shorthand notes, sort of transcribing the oral tradition, which explains the written tradition. And then you have the Talmud, which sort of encapsulates the, the which explains the Mishnah, explains the oral tradition, but sort of brings you into the stream of consciousness of the oral tradition of the back and forth of the development of the tradition of 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 the progression of right it brings you into that space apologize if that was a bad yeah, explanation no, I, I think i think you know i'm going to touch upon take the opportunity that you just mentioned talmud to to talk about the specific topic that we were discussing earlier that if we can achieve and i don't have the answer yet to that but do, can can we achieve morality can we get to morality through purely scientific ways, through natural law, through reason, or do we need some type of revelation of some some type of document that states, you know, this is what's moral um, and revelation Fine because morality. God God came came down and and said to the Jewish people or to whichever people uh, gave a document stating what's moral and what's not. And correct me if I'm wrong, Ohad, but I believe that the Jewish vision of this is, is very interesting because the Jewish vision of this is that we have the 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 oral law and the written law. So, and I think I'm going to mention again, I think Ben Shapiro says this again. I, I was listening to him before. They, he says that you have both reason in, in, in his in his book, um, The Right Side of History, I think he, he talked about this, that you have two things. You have reason and revelation. Reason being the capacity of humans to actually, yeah, to, to think for themselves and to understand things for themselves. And on the other hand, revelation, which is top-down morality that came from God, that God told us what is moral and what is not. So we have the bottoms-up, quote-unquote, bottoms-up approach where you, through your brain, you try to understand what's moral. And you have the top-down approach where God tells you what morality is. And being the top-down approach would be the written law and the bottoms up approach would be the the oral law so it is you um, so when you have both reason and revelation you can actually arrive to conclusions without succumbing to tyranny so if you have only revelation and you don't use your brain you can end up in a the theocracy where people justify whatever in the name of religion they they interpret they see things in the way that they want to and they can justify anything. You know, they can see a passage and they they say it, okay, I'm interpreting this passage in this way and therefore I need to kill everybody or, or whatever, you know, take it to an extreme. And on the other hand, if you have reason without revelation or without a certain base or a text or yeah, a, a system that gives you a certain direction, then um, you can end up justifying whatever. And I think the the, you know, the 20th century, is a testament to that where you know there there was no 
people justified whatever that you just the, the population that theoretically was the most sophisticated population the german population ended up ended in ended up you know assassinating millions and millions tens of millions of people so when you have the merger of both these systems you can actually arrive to conclusions and to create you know a moral system so i think one of the examples that he uses there is that imagine a ship throws an anchor so the anchor is you know it's anchored to the to the to the ground the, the bottom of the ocean and it can move so much i mean you cannot if you take out the anchor then the ship is going to go all, all over the sea you need an anchor but which is in this case revelation is is a, a metaphor for saying revelation and the anchor there is a space for it to move to the right to the left the ship can move but it cannot move all over the sea so you have so revelation is this anchor, but reason is, it allows, I mean, the Jewish system allows for reason for you to interpret things in a way um, that makes sense, but it's anchored to a certain place. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I feel uh, like you yeah. touched on like many, many different ideas I and think concepts. So and But to this point, which is, so I think that we have this interesting Talmud, Talmudic statement, which is that if it wasn't for the Torah, we would learn modesty from the cats. The cats, and if yeah. it was uh, hard work from the ants, and it, exactly. it basically it goes through the animals. I was just going to mention says, that, and it, it says that there's many different things that we would learn from the animals if it wasn't for the Torah, for the for the system that we have. And what I think what this idea is saying is that viability is not the question, right? Viability, which is you know, self-actualization, the human being is going to always strive, every being is going to strive for self-actualization. The lion is going to try to be the best lion that he can be, and the human is going to try to be the best lion that he can be, and, uh, the, human, the human, right? And so on. Every creature is going to try to be the most that they can be. And the question is, do you have God? Do you have, do you have the partnership with God with you? So what the Torah offers is not viability, what the Torah offers is partnership with God. And God says, oh, you mankind are going to have to build a judicial system? Here, let's do it together. Let me give you some principles that we can do this together. And uh, you want to build a, you know, a, a welfare system, whatever it is that we have, God says, listen, I'm going to do this in, in conjunction with you. We're going to do this together. So he sort of provides us with the basic fundamentals, with principles, and it is we who incorporate it and who bring it down into our day-to-day -day life and to bring it every every generation brings it into their manifestations and their permutations, right? So that's the great partnership of, of Sinai, which is God brings the principles and we sort of take that those principles and bring it down into our into the into human life. And that's how the Jewish the Jewish nation runs with God, so to speak. Like they had they're in partnership with God. So we take principles from the from the Bible, and we have the ability and the right to then incorporate it into our lives and, and into our nation, right? Which I think is sort of touching on what you're saying. Viability, there's many different manifestations of viability, right? Polygamy, non-polygamy, a woman with multiple husbands, right? All of them work evolutionarily, just different strategies of mating. But God says, listen, let's work together on this and let's choose this path. 
I mean, right? but for example, you mentioned polygamy. So is there, there was never, God permitted polygamy. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you like open the Bible, I mean, okay, so Jacob got married yeah. with two wives. Abraham, you know, slept with, had kids from different women. Solomon had a thousand wives. I mean, of course you had, there was a purpose to that. He wanted to achieve world peace. So he wanted to marry one wife from every kingdom. It ended up backfiring because they influenced him, et cetera. But polygamy was something that existed throughout human history. Sure. Who abolished it? I mean, we abolished it from bottoms up because we realized that that system, I mean, right. doesn't work. So that's so an example of, of, yeah. So that's an example of human participation of, Principles of the Torah, and this this is a broader conversation. I think we can have about um, ideas in the Torah that doesn't fit with our Western sensibilities, right? Polygamy, sacrifices, slavery for one, right? I don't think seriously. I don't think uh, slavery. <laughs> slavery. Sorry, yeah, sacrifices. I don't think sacrifices that. I think it troubles a lot of people. Sacrifices. I mean, what do you mean, dude? You're killing an you're killing hundreds of thousands of animals a year for for God's satisfaction. Don't you think that's completely antithetical to, to the idea of the ideas portrayed by Western civilization nowadays? I mean, it's, no, I don't think so. I mean, you did eat the animals after sacrificing it, but I most mean, of them, not all of them, but uh, I, I don't think it's that antithetical, but whatever, but this is a tangent, you know, we can talk about it a different time. I don't want to like go off tangent. Uh, I mean, to, to touch on that point, what do you think? I mean, for example, a concept, People say, how do you justify that the Torah or the Bible talks about slavery? So when people, you know, that, that's a loaded question because what you're saying is you're parting from the premise that slavery is, I'm not saying that it's bad or wrong, but you're already parting from the premise that it's bad, slavery. So how do you justify it? Meaning you're doing the other way around. You have to justify something that's written. So I know you, you told me a couple of approaches that you have to, to answer this specific question. Yeah. So it's interesting because whenever there's something that's troubling with Western sensibilities from the Bible, you sort of have multiple like general like uh, approaches that you find. So you find the fundamentalist approach. It's rarely spoken, but it's usually the approach that says, it is you that needs to change your frame of reference. You, the Western person have an issue the Bible, the fact that it's in the Bible, it's condoned and you're the problem and you need to change that, right? And it's very easy to sort of, for, for the, it's the fundamentalist approach to sort of exist because they're not walking around into in Miami with multiple wives and slaves. So they sort of have a luxury of not having to do that. So they, they, can, they can say this. Then you have sort of the apologetic approach, which is very much throwing shiny things at people, which is like, yeah, you know, we did have slavery, but look how well we treated them, right? And usually that's, they sort of ignore a lot of other things that we did and a lot of other practices that were part of that that, were, that would not be so um, liked by the Western, uh, the Western mind. Um, and then you sort of have, and by the way, there's a lot of good that comes, meaning in the apologetic approach, they're right. Like the Jewish system is revolutionary and does have a lot of good things. And the fact that we have, we treat slaves as human beings is something that was. By the way, we're we don't have s slaves right now. It's like the way that they yeah. treated slaves thousands of years ago yeah, when yeah, people yeah. owned slaves. Yeah, we're I talking mean, about the Jewish. It's not legal like you system. have a slave. Some uh, yeah, in yeah, the, in yeah, their yeah home. obviously. Aside from me, of course, but you know, right. 
<laughs> but so <laughs> so the fact that the Torah system is revolutionary, for example, we're the first legal system that recognizes woman woman rights in marriage is something unbelievable, right? But there is still things that are very contrary to the Western mind. And then finally, you have sort of like the rationalist approach, uh, which uh, Ben Shapiro sometimes engages in. You can see this in his conversations with Sam Harris, which is sort of, and by this is a big misinterpretation of Maimonides, of the Rambam, in the uh, third uh, section of the Merenivuchim, where they talk about sacrifices. So they sort of say, listen, it was once something that was necessary. So uh, sacrifices was something that was necessary. Polygamy was something that was necessary. All these things are actually bad, but because the Torah was given to a people that needed it, meaning we were idolatrous in an idolatrous nation leaving Egypt that need that was engaged in child sacrifice. So listen, this was the better good, meaning this was the a way to wean us out of those practices, right? So they sort of view it as like a necessary crutch a big problem. It was a bad thing that we needed, but sort of now we sort of, now that we're enlightened, we can outgrow those things. And I think that none of those approaches, the fundamentalist, right. the apologetic, or the rationalist approach, none of them are actually, are actually satisfactory when you're, when you're confronting uh, very problematic things that the Bible speaks about. And I think we need to understand that the principles of the Torah are eternal. The principles those are the things that are never that are unchanging. Those are the things that we can never change. And those are the things that whatever Western value says, it doesn't matter. Now, how those principles are going to manifest in whatever generation you find yourself in, that's a different question. And that's up to us. So for example, polygamy. The Torah recognizes that there is a relationship that works, in a, meaning there's, that, that there's a marriage that there's, that's polygamous that works. Now, is it the ideal? But, but does it recognize it? I mean, the fact 100%, that because it, the fact that it, it allows for it. it the it, fact that it allows for it doesn't mean that it's endorsing it. It's just a reality of life. I mean, for example. True, but it bans things that it's unhealthy. The Torah doesn't allow things that are unhealthy. It recognizes that for a generation that the Torah was given in, polygamy was necessary and is a good. Today, that we have the luxury where we don't, where we don't have to, where, we, where we're not fighting for our lives for resources, and we have the ability to marry for the sake of commitment and exclusivity and love, we don't need to have multiple wives. So then why would you have multiple wives, right? So the principle of Torah is that marriage could work, work with polygamy, right? The do, most do you have an example? Do you have an example in, in the Bible of a polygamous relationship working? I mean, do you have think an example in the Bible of a sibling relationship working? I think Moses and Aaron. Moses work. and Aaron is a very is big a great exception. But sure, like, it was the you first. have a lot, of, a lot of situations where it didn't work. So, so Yaakov, Kain and Hevel, the first siblings. Didn't work. So what you're saying is work. that the, the, the Bible is not, is, endor is not endorsing. No, I'm just saying that it's not a good proof to say that there's, you know, not a, not a yeah, lot of Yeah, I'm sure you had polygamous work, polygamous relationship that worked. Of course. So let's say this. So for example, going back, so slavery, right? Slavery, the Torah accepts slavery in the sense that the concept, the principle of slavery is something that's real in the Torah. It's not something that we're going to get rid of. Now, how it manifests in every generation is going to be different. So if we, a, a, the, na the, the, the nation of Israel, once we have our sovereignty again and we're going to run along Torah values, 
The rabbis are not going to allow for slavery. They're not going to allow for a first century love uh, uh, um, interpretation, a manifestation of slavery where but, we have a yeah. slave market. That's not going to be the ideal. But, but slavery, to, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, but yeah. slavery, by the way, slavery endorsed by Judaism is not the typical slavery that we're accustomed right. to when Ameri we see that. Let, yeah, let, let's uh, just say this. Uh, what's American, the difference American between slavery. American slave or not? Not only American, by the way, people try to, you know, credit this to America. It's not American, sorry. True. It's, it's worldwide Western. slavery. Yeah. West, yeah. not only Western. European Dude, white. it started in, in Africa, in not only in Africa. You know when it started? You know when slavery started? People don't don't think Since this. forever, what People do you mean? think that, you know, people in America went to Africa and just grabbed people from the streets and made them slaves and brought them to America. People from America that went to America, to, to Africa, they bought slaves, meaning certain tribes in Africa were already enslaving other tribes in Africa. Yeah, and people is, bought it. Slavery is... It has been throughout history, throughout history yeah. you know, in, in, in now, for thousands reason, of I'm years. I'm saying American yeah. because we're Americans, so that's what we know, but American I mean, slavery... I'm not, but... Whatever, yeah. Costa we get married, that can be... Costa Rican slavery. But American slavery is disgusting, it's, it's brutal, it's something that needs to be... Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a moral wrong, it's something that was disgusting and terrible and something that we yeah, uh, you see the image you can see images of it's disgusting it's, it's horrendous it's morally wrong right when i say slavery what i'm talking about so meaning what's how, a, what's the explain yeah. what's the difference between tradition the slavery that we see in the movies and the jewish way that they practice slavery back then so first off the torah recognizing recognizes slaves as human beings it's not chattel uh, property that you can just uh, 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 abuse, abuse, and 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 physically demolish and and destroy. Like that's it recognizes them as human beings with an actual ability to go to court and and fight for their rights, right? Now, with that said, today, Torah slavery, as it was applied back then, would be immoral because we don't have to do it like that anymore. Back then. It was necessary for society. That's what the Torah says, meaning that's what the Torah, the fact that the Torah allows for slavery, it recognizes that part of society is that there's going to be people who are not necessarily always able to take care of themselves or who need to have, this, by the way, this sounds terrible, but that need a master. And today, we're not going to apply it the same way. We're not going to have people forcing people into labor and we're not you're not going to able to go to the markets and buy a slave and by the and way legally things. are you allowed to uh, are you allowed to that like let's mm. say if i if i make a contract with you where whereby i sell myself as property to you you're talking in american law in or? american law no i don't think that's allowed is that allowed no so the, the 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 legal figure is completely abolished i mean by by the way i think i think you're saying essentially that it was necessary back then, or it was no, but the working back then. No, so what I'm saying is, is that the principle lives forever. So, for example, how it's but the manifestation is going to be different in every generation, and that's that's actually true. That morality changes, in the sense that morality back in the day was very different than what morality is today. Today, if you have a slave, that's immoral. In and the back then, it was okay. It was okay. Yeah because that's how society functioned. And to the back then, morality would be, if you beat your slave sensibly, uh, un, you know, uh, and you would abuse your slave, that's something disgusting and abhorrent and immoral. Today- By, by the way, the, the, the way that slavery worked, I don't know, like in, 
in Jew Jewish slavery worked back then. There were so many laws protecting the slave. I'm not, I'm not endorsing it necessarily, but it, it all, all of these, there were a lot of laws in place that protected the slaves. For example, you needed to give your slave food before you ate yourself, if I'm not mistaken. You, if you hit a slave, he was automatically free. Yeah. If after seven years, if you had well, one, a, if you had one pillow, what? you had to give it to your that's slave. That's a Jewish slave, yeah. Yeah, if, if after seven years, um, you had to release your slave. And if he didn't want to be released, you had to pierce his um, ear in a, in a, as quote unquote, like a punishment or, or as a type of punishment. Yeah. As a type of punishment to show that slavery is not the ideal, but I want to, I, I want to ask you something. I wanna, I'm wondering what you guys think about this, but the, why, I mean, if the Torah or if the Bible, if the Bible introduces that legal figure of slavery, isn't there some scenarios can we like extrapolate from that, that some scenarios of slavery or some cases of slavery are actually not bad? And I know this so is controversial. Yeah, today, let me, let me, today let me there is manifestation that. of slavery. So for example, but, the fact that you have ownership, quote unquote, over your kids. There are people who can't take care of themselves. who you are essentially completely responsible for. You dictate their entire lives. That's a sense of slavery. Or for example, there's people who are mentally unstable in society. Home, a lot of homelessness has nothing to do with they just can't afford a house. It has to do with, with mental illness. These people can't take care of themselves. We need to give them, essentially, it sounds terrible, but a master, quote-unquote, who's able to take care of them, who's responsible for them, who gives them right, a, 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 a place. So now, I th those, yeah. are, those are instances of slavery. The, the principle of slavery still exists today. There's people who are under our ownership as a society, who we have responsibilities towards, right? And that is essentially slavery. So the manifestations of slavery today is very different than how it was back then. So no rabbi, when we have our nation, is going to ever allow for a slave market. But what about, what about let's say, we have a system nowadays where if you commit a crime, you go to prison. Right. And prisons are not rehabilitation centers. I mean- well, That's a question. Uh, yeah, but I, I would say, I, I don't know, like, I mean, I'm not an expert in, in the prison system in the US, but basing myself from, you know, a, a great source, the movies in Hollywood, I mean, the prisons don't seem to be like the best rehabilitation center in the world. I don't know if, if this, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, what if, Instead of going to prison, let's say you steal from somebody and instead, instead of you being sent to prison and getting influenced by other criminals or you being in touch with other murderers and, and, and influenced by that, you have to work for the person that you stole from. So as a slave, so you're essentially a slave. So, but yeah, but people in prison, they have their, a slave, what's, what's in common? People in prison and slaves, what, what do they have in common? The fact that their liberty is taken away from them completely taken away from them. So why do we see that, that people in prisons, is, it's okay, we, we see that as, I mean, it's a concept that makes sense, we have to lock up criminals, but what about if a criminal steals from somebody, we make him work as a quote unquote slave, I know that the word is looked you know, correctly bad, um, for this, for the master, and he gets influenced by by the master, I mean, but he's, but he's essentially, working for the person to pay off his debt. Why is that wrong versus why is it better 
for us to send him to prison than for us to say he's going to work forcefully for him. I mean, I don't know. I think this is a very loaded, like, question, proposal, whatever you want to call it. I think, like, there's no difference to a certain extent because the only difference is that slavery comes with the connotation of being owned by a certain person, not connected to any crime, not connected to any situation. You're just born into it or you're sold into it or kidnapped into it. You know, and that's yeah. all the evil that has to do with it. Because there's no consent and there's no... No, there's another issue, which is the difference between slavery versus, you know, people today talk about... If you look at the at what an act, like, at hard work, at, in terms of the work, it's the same thing. Like a slave versus a free man, sometimes they work the exact same amount. Again, again, but the what defines is a, that... What defines what's the negative of slavery is when we take away your sense of self or we take away right. your human dignity. Yeah, that's absolutely. the problem. That's the problem. Always, whenever someone strips you of their of your human dignity, of your sense of self, of your identity, that's where it becomes. But a even that's a prison, problem with prison. No, no. Well. Even in prison, you have a human dignity. At least in America. At least in the Western world, you still have a human dignity. No, but it doesn't rehabilitate anyone. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it doesn't. It doesn't the question matter. I'll tell you why. Because you still have a human dignity, and that's why it's different than slavery. You want to say prison should rehabilitate? Sure. I, I agree with you. I think prison should rehabilitate. I think prison should, you know, they should push people towards taking courses to rehabilitate them, you know, to take uh, programs that allow them to learn more, to read, to learn whatever, whatever they're missing, missing so that when they leave prison, they can be rehabilitated back into society. But at the end of the day, when you go into prison, you still have a sense of human dignity. There's, you still have rights. You still have, like, you know, like a per, the, the, the cops can't come and abuse your rights. You still have rights. You're still human. Whereas slavery completely pushes that away, completely says that you're human. People, I don't know if the people in Guantanamo Bay would agree with you, but, you know. I don't know what they do in Guantanamo Bay, but. Uh, they're practicing this uh, amazing sport called the uh, waterboarding. Have you, have you done that before? I don't know if they still do that. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, I don't know. They still do that. Since, Listen, uh, locking someone up, I don't know if there's any benefit in it, if there's no re- rehabilitation involved. So, you know. In what? Locking someone up, I don't know if there's any benefit in it, if there's no rehabilitation. I mean, the, the Jewish so system some, doesn't have, yeah, but that's do, a, doesn't have a, a prison, right? Do, is, yeah. there, is there a prison in the yes, Jewish system? Is, no, we have two times. There is. No. There is. There, where? Rabbanan. No. So we have From two times. Rise, saw, biblically, we have to. two times where there's prison. There's number one, which is we have the person that we had an episode in the in the Bible of a person going out who cut uh, wood, whatever it was, on the Sabbath. And we weren't sure what the punishment is because obviously whatever he did was prohibited on the Sabbath. So the question is, what did he do wrong? So they put him into a hold, holding. And the, the reason why we put him in holding is we didn't have an answer. So until we had an answer, we sort of held him into in, in place. And Where? I mean, where would you... No, but the, the, the point is of we didn't lock him up as that was the punishment. It was just an intermediary state until we got an answer. And we quickly got an answer, and then we, we actually executed whatever needed to be executed. The same thing happened when prophecy descends into the people, right, into the, into the sages, right? So they, they prophesize in front of Moses, and there's two people who continue to prophesize. And Joshua says, you know, these people, kill them, like, you know, 
lock them up, whatever it is, you know, because they um, they're continuing to prophesy in front of in front of Moses, and Moses essentially says, no, that that's fine, that's completely good. But point is, locking up people in in the Bible is always viewed as a as a it's never the the punishment. It never is the punishment. It always is an intermediary state until we actually have an actual resolution to the situation. So, and that nowadays, like nowadays, that's the punishment. In, oh, oh, the idea. Oh, so, the no. criminal system. I mean, if somebody just protecting society from these people. So sometimes, no, so some, nowadays, yeah. do we see do we see imprisoning somebody as a punishment for their crime or? I mean, is is a concept of punishment existing in, in nowadays in 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 the criminal justice system, or is it rehabilitation, or is it just locking him up because he's going to harm somebody else? I think it depends on which uh, which uh, which. I think in Europe, it's viewed as a punishment, and I think in America, it's viewed as protecting society. I'll tell you why. Because look at the difference in the punishments. Look at the difference in the punishment. Look at the difference of the years that you get in Europe versus the year, years that you get in America. In America, they're much more... Tougher? Much more tougher. America has the highest rate of incarcerated people. And in Europe, you I have mean, less. I mean, that doesn't mean... In Europe, when you get... literally can mean that there's more crime. No. In, Amer in Europe, when you get life, at least, uh, you know, you get, you, when you get life, it's a certain amount of years. In America, when you get life, you stay there for your entire life. You know, how does getting life mean a certain amount of years and not getting when you get life, what, what it means? Mean, life. Life is a, it's a prescribed amount. I don't know, 25 years, 30 years, whatever it is. But in the end of the day, there's a certain limit. Whereas in America, we're much more liberal, quote unquote, on this in, in giving punishment. And I think it really comes down to that in America, we view jail. Also, we have the death penalty, right? We view jail as we're protecting society and because you can't live in society you're going to be here in jail whereas in Europe it's or in Israel in general in in the rest of the world is basically you're in jail because this is your punishment and therefore they're much more you know they're much more considering before they send someone to jail um i don't know which one is the better system in the end of the day both system are not really focused on rehabilitating people And that's really the problem. The problem is that we're not really focused on putting people back into society in a position where they can engage in society. Um, Does the Jewish system is, I mean, is the Jewish system rehabilitating people? I don't know. The ideal a Jewish system, I don't know. I mean, what's the, the, I know that there is a concept that if people kill somebody mistakenly, you have to go to these cities where the priests used to live in and yeah. the idea of this is that this that the people would get rehabilitated from that but you don't have a concept like if i kill somebody in in judaism you get the death penalty so it seems like well, you cannot always it's like a penalty right just you, to, just you to, don't get rehabilitated yeah. for your crime right just a point on uh, on the jewish death penalty which is that it was incredibly It was very difficult to actually apply the death penalty in the Jewish in the Jewish system, biblically at least, because you would need witnesses who saw at the same time who were warning the person about what they would get as a punishment. And basically, 99.999% of cases would never actually be able to get the death penalty for them. 
So Judaism has an entire, if you do this, you get this. If you do this, you get this. If you do this, you get this. And in reality, what that does is not actually give the death penalty, but set a moral structure, meaning it sets value system. If you do this, it's so serious, it, it deserves the death penalty. You understand what I'm saying? So rabbinically now, that's a different story. Rabbinically, how they would apply a judicial system is actually uh, they might give the death penalty, they might not give the death penalty. Um, they choose how they want to set up a judicial system. Biblically, though, it's extremely difficult to give any death penalty. So that's really the, the way that the system runs. Society needs institutions and sort of taking a step back, I think that unfortunately, especially today, you brought up COVID and I think that all of our institutions have fallen apart that no one can trust. We have very little trust in our institutions that sort of provided us structure and order and a narrative. All of it has fallen apart and we're sort of in this very difficult and very um, uncomfortable situation of you know, epistemological hell of where we have no idea how to build narratives and we have no idea how to, because all our institutions have fallen and we don't have any trust in anything and society needs institutions. So this is sort of like the, you know, the point on, um, on libertarians on a, on a very like extreme libertarian point, which is you need to have communal governance. You need to have communal institutions that help to set values and, 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 and community. So how we navigate that, I don't know, but we need to have them. And today we're in a very difficult the, place. The question is if you, if these institutions should be filled by the government or should be filled by private institutions. I mean, I think it also the depends idea. on the government and the idea of government in America, at least the government only has a right to exist from the will of the people. I mean, it, it sounds amazing in theory, but unfortunately the government I mean, look at the federal government right now, the, the size and the power of the federal government. It, it's, and it makes but the that's institution- a recent, But again, that's a very recent development of the federal government. Don't you think it's a natural outgrowth of, I mean, I guess to, to Ohad's point of, of, of the society needing institutions, I agree that society needs institutions. And I think the, the, the original idea of the founders of having the more local, of having decentralized government. The more local you go, the more you control the government can have because the more similar people are. So if you go to a, a specific town in whatever, in South Florida, it's more likely that people are gonna have things in common with them, each one and another, than if you compare Florida to California. And right. so it, it makes more sense that on the local level, local governments have more control. I think nowadays we have the federal government controlling everything. And and, and the, the most important, I think something we're forgetting is that the most impor important institution, I know this might sound cliche, but the most important institution that we have in America is the family figure, the family. And this is an institution that has been, unfortunately, you know, dying away or, or not, it doesn't have the same relevance that it had back then. We You have like, I think in the black community, you have 40% single, uh, you know, mothers. That, that's absolutely insane. And, and in the white community, you have like an, an exorbitant, a uh, very high rate of, of single woman, um, single motherhood rates. I think that's absolutely insane. But the idea, I think nowadays, the fact that 
everybody looks to the government to come and solve, right. the That's federal the government to come and solve and to step in as, as the major institution. I think the entire idea of the founders was that the 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 more decentralized the the more decentralized you go, the better. So let's say you need help, you start with your family unit. After your family, you go to your neighbors. After your neighbors, your you go to your church or your community synagogue, or your yeah. synagogue or whatever. After that, you go to the local government, then the state government, and finally the federal government. But the the outgrowth the 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 natural outgrowth of the of the federal government has completely upended that system. Yeah. So on that, I think that's very important today to recognize the, you know, the, there's the individual and then there's the family and then there's the city and then there's, you know, the community and then there's the state and then it goes up and up and up and up. And today we sort of live in this, this is a sort of connected back to the conversation that we, we had about, you know, people jumping. So they're sort of, you know, they ignore all of what life is based off of and then they're just sitting themselves trying to you know I'm a, I'm a global citizen and I'm trying to connect to everyone and it's like yeah yeah but you still first need to have a relationship with yourself and a relationship with your family and a relationship with your community and a relationship with your city and a relationship with your state and then you can have a relationship with the world right so that's a very important message for today I remember I was uh, I was in uh, I was in college and we had this assignment to talk about talk about like change making about like making a difference in the world around you and we had to choose a a charity or like an institution and to sort of try to promote it it was a public speaking course and i remember i chose a community institution uh, that we have in in our community and it's called the co-op it's basically it's like a it's this community uh, food bank that uh, everyone sort of chips in, and everyone has low cost uh, kosher food that they can they can they, they can have access to. And I remember I was my final speech in promoting this charity. I, I told everyone, "We don't need you." Meaning, don't come volunteer in that organization. That's that's fine. Volunteer in your organization. Volunteer in your communities. Go and try to find in your communities where we can actually, you know, where, where you can actually uh, build for yourself. And there's this idea that we want to help the, the, the polar bears and we want to help every, every, every other person except for the people next to us. Right. And this is a very important message to have, for, especially for today, which is look locally. How can you develop yourself? How can you develop your family? How can you develop the people around you? Because those are the people that you can actually have the most impact and the most effect on. Once you actually finish, once you actually do that, then you can look abroad and, okay, how can I help uh, people in random countries who, who need my help? But first, build your community. Have a sense of community. Have a family, right? And that's yeah, a very important message. 100%. I think when people talk about all these global program problems happening, all these people talk about all these global problems happening. A lot of the times is because they want to, you know, evade their responsibility as humans because, you know, talking about, oh, there's a problem in this foreign country in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you don't, you're not doing anything about it, but the minute that you talk about the guy next to you having an issue, then that has, that means that you have a responsibility. Which, right. by the way, is is sort of everyone talks today about their careers, and they talk about, oh, I want to become. You talk about this all the time of like, oh, I want to become a lawyer because I want to help people, right? And if you ask, and if you look at them, and they're like, what about your roommate, the right. person literally in front of you who needs help, right? You're not helping him, 
So if you really want to help people, start now. Start with the people in front yeah. of you. It's a lot of hypocrisy nowadays. It's a lot of uh, people evading the duties. Again, going back to our conversation earlier about duties and responsibilities. A lot of people evading their local and personal duties by trying to delude themselves into believing that there is a higher purpose for themselves. And at the cost of basically ignoring what's going on around them. And I have a big problem with that. I'm in law school. I have a big problem of, you know, looking at people and conversing with people that they, you know, they, they try to sell to me that they're in law school in order to fulfill a higher purpose. And a lot of times I'm like, listen, you have a mother, you have a father, you have siblings, you have a roommate, you have friends. You know, what about all these people? You're basically just ignoring all those people. You're running away from all those people. You're abusing all those people, quote unquote, for the sake of trying to, you know, run after this lofty goal of like saving the world, changing the world, you know, changing the policies of like America. Which is too too broad and too abstract to actually mean anything. I mean, and in the end and of the day, think, and I think, you know, by the way, in the end of the day, like every single prosecutor thinks they're doing like God's work and every single criminal defendant thinks they're doing God's work. And uh, listen, both of them are like fighting against each other and both of them thinks they're doing God's work. So like, who's wrong? Both yeah. of them are wrong. Both of them are not doing God's work. Wait, both that's of them, not true. Both of them are doing partially God's work and both of them are doing I mean, it depends who's God's innocent work. and who's guilty in that case. But no, so, yeah. Yeah. it has already a conversation about our judicial system, but right. putting aside, the, I, mean, yeah. I don't know. I, I think point. it has Nobody, to do with the, even, the fact that people are willing to throw away their relationships, sure, but that's throwing away to do their it, responsibility yeah. for the sake of prosecuting. By the way, one day, and doing, you, God willing, yeah. you will have the option of having broader effect. Meaning, hopefully, God willing, one day you will have the ability to uh, establish policy and to affect many, many people and do a good job at it. We have to clean house first. I mean, exactly. you have to do it exactly. first internally, and then. You As can Jordan Peterson says, "Clean your room before you try to change the world." You know, <laughs> makes sense, and it's a hundred percent true. But anyway, with that, I think we'll conclude today. Um, yeah, a lot of time, um, but thanks for joining, guys. Thanks Thank for you. coming along. Thank you for and, um, inviting us. Thank boom! You. Let's have another whiskey after the. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank All you. Right.